Brian Campbell, coming at you and ready to talk about the world of professional wrestling on the In This Corner podcast. But before I do, let me talk to you first about Dylan Blue from Versace. Dylan Blue is the essence of the Versace man today. It's a fragrance full of character and individuality, an expression of a man's strength, but also his charisma. Available at fine department stores, it's Dylan Blue by Versace. And now it's time to hit me with that theme song. is the In This Corner podcast, the professional wrestling edition with the Brian Campbell. Now me, I am handsome Nick Costos, and I got to be honest with you. I don't think I've ever looked more handsome than I do in the last picture that I put up on Instagram at the Costos. The Brian Campbell and yours truly painting the town red in New York this past weekend for SummerSlam. Went to the WWE 2K18 party on Friday night where we had lots of great interviews with lots of wrestlers. We're going to have a special bonus episode coming next week. But we took a picture in that photo booth where I said, Nick, this is the best you've ever looked. I I harangued them to get a copy of it so I could put it on Instagram. Instagram, and it has been fruitful for yours truly. So go there and like that picture, because as you know, I am a petty, petty, pathetic, insecure little man who needs your likes and validation to get through the day on Instagram at the Costos. And as always, I am joined by my tag team partners. First up, I mean, you want to talk about workout warriors. Jinder Mahal, move over. Because our guy, the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, he continues to disappear before our very eyes. Dare I say it, Silver King, this is the best you've ever looked. It is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. Hey, now. And as always, I am joined by the man whose name is on the marquee. Come on. He is the icon. Let's go. He's the main event. Bring it. He is the showstopper. My man. He is the whole effing show. Stay hype. He is the bod that runs the pod. One time. He is the mast that guides the cast. Let's go. He's live in Las Vegas. I'm looking at him. He looks a little worse for wear, but damn it, he is the great. You know his name. He is the Brian Campbell. Yeah. BC, tell them what's on the podcast. Well, Nick, the time has come to get some of this. The Brian Campbell coming at you from my Las Vegas hotel room this week, pulling double duty with both the ITC podcast and full coverage of Saturday's Floyd Mayweather versus Conor McGregor boxing super fight on Showtime pay-per-view. And did you know that Showtime pay-per-view is available everywhere for Saturday night's big fight, including traditional cable providers, satellite TV, and streaming online via desktop tablet, mobile, and connected TVs. To order the fight now or learn more, go to show.com slash PPV. That's SHO.com slash PPV. Now, guys, with the business out of the way, let me remind you what we came here to do today. Pour out one for our homies and spill another lethal dose of that performance enhancing audio it's addictive it'll change your life as we look back on nxt takeover from over the weekend relive the week that was in wwe and go back in the archives this week for a match that can best be described as a cruiserweight classic but for now let me hand the keys back to the most passionate man in america north america if you will the guy who will put his hand right in your field spot without even being asked 
Handsome, Nick Costos. And this is the, the order. The hand goes on the feel spot, followed by the swipe right on the feel spot. So touch the feel spot, swipe right on the feel spot. Great intro, as always, from the Victor Conti, the cousin Yuri, the King Balco, the first of our performance-enhancing audio, the man whose name is on the marquee, the Brian Campbell. As always, we begin the show with the main event. This is the main event. And the main event, guys, of... This week's In This Corner actually was the opening segment of Monday Night Raw this past week as Braun Strowman and Brock Lesnar BC continued their feud that started on SummerSlam night. We were there. We absolutely loved it. Strowman dominates Brock, power slams him a couple times, and it is announced later that night that at no mercy, Brock Lesnar defends the Universal Championship, Brian Campbell, against the monster among men, Braun Strowman. Fired up right now. Guys, how many times do we see a great thing end a pay-per-view for WWE? You can't wait to tune into Raw the next night, and what happens? They open with you know, Cass and Enzo, right? And you have to wait (laughs) 45 minutes to two hours to finally get what you're looking for. They did not waste any time. What ended great on Sunday night began great on Monday night, and what this little mini brawl did, it put right in your face that yes, 100% WWE is in the business of presenting Brock versus Braun right away. No teases, no wasting time. The two most destructive heavyweights in the entire company. How badly do I want to see this car wreck right now? How badly do I want to see these two guys alone to see what type of creativity they can do within the grounds of an organized one-on-one match? Not a fatal four-way, not a Royal Rumble, an actual violent match. I love that Braun got the upper hand right away because there are very few guys in this company who can make Brock look small force Brock to have to climb uphill in a way that is believable. It's one thing if like a Dean Ambrose uses a kendo stick. It's another thing to see a mountain among men throw Brock around like a rag doll, throwing through tables like he did Sunday night. Could not be more fired up about this. Really interested, like we could sit here in fantasy book if we wanted to. These are one of those times where I'm not even going out of my way to do that because I'm interested in seeing what happens next because this is one of those feuds that WWE has handled with care, with perfection up to this point. I sit back as a fan now and say, what do you got for me? You know, I'm almost sad that this is the next pay-per-view main event. But- not because, Bri, not, let me, not, let me, I think I'm going to be able to convince you here of what, what I'm about to say. Not because I don't want to see it. I want to see it. I just don't want to see it now. You know what I want to see Braun Strowman and Brock Lesnar in the main event for the Universal Championship? At WrestleMania 34. Look, we said this. It's Silver King. We talked about this on the Instant Analysis podcast of SummerSlam. They did that purposefully. They had to have, right? In that fatal four-way, Reigns had the first stare down with Brock Lesnar. Then Braun Strowman had the stare down with Brock Lesnar. We were in the crowd, BC. Silver King watching at home. He could tell the ovation was significantly louder for Braun Strowman. So I don't know if the plan's still for Reigns and Lesnar or what the hell's going to happen, but I almost feel like I don't want this to be a one-off. If this is going to be the match and it is at no mercy, this should be the first of a couple matches that these guys have. This can't be the only one. And, and Brian, a couple things to your point. Number one, how well this has been booked. How well Braun Strowman's been presented. There gotta be guys like Rusev's gotta be watching this in the back. Like, really? I take an RKO in 10 seconds and you book this guy like he's the most unstoppable force of all time? So the bookers have done a great job with Strowman. Strowman, of course, has done a great job as well. And how about what you said? The way that they've put Strowman over Lesnar here, making him look so strong, and Brock has done that himself. We forgot this on the Instant Analysis pod. Remember at SummerSlam when Brock had 
Braun in the Kimura. And he's hanging on him, and he looks like a small child. Brock Lesnar does hanging on the monster among men. Braun Strowman, look at me marking out using their taglines like I'm getting paid by Vince McMahon. He looked looked like a small child, but uh, Braun Strowman's arm in that move looked like it was like a a toddler in his arm. It was like ridiculously big. I like that forearm that was being bent backwards. It's it's nuts. I mean, both these guys are great, and and the setup to this has been awesome. And Bri, I I just want to know if you share that thought that I have about is it too soon for this? Should they have waited a little bit? Because my issue is not like I love the program and like and I'm into it now. I just don't know if this was the right time to pull the trigger on this. Well, that was my first thought. The same thought you had. Is this too soon? Because this has, you know, WrestleMania written all over it. It could have Survivor Series or, or Royal Rumble. And it probably will if it stretches out like you said. But you know what? Why not come right out of a major with a major storyline that keeps people tied in. How many times do we watch WrestleMania and then know, all right, guys, I can take the next two months off of of watching this programming until Money in the Bank. Don't do that. So I support them, and I'm not even going to pick apart the decision. Yes, this probably means they have bigger plans for the main event of WrestleMania, whether it's Reigns-Lesnar, whether it's Reigns-Cena, which we'll get into shortly. Who knows at this point? I'm all about the here and now because too often they book for the future and sacrifice the in-between. Oh, man, the Silver King. I know that you must have been fired up. Mark Milk on hand, buddy, when you were watching the uh, the opening segment of Monday Night Raw. Yeah, it was all over the place. And Brock, uh, no, just when you say it was, you mean the Mark Milk the Mark was, all, Milk over was the all over the place. Kinky. Bra- Braun Strowman is so effing over. It's ridiculous. And you saw that crowd. You guys saw it when you were there. Yeah. And you saw it the next night on Raw. It's ridiculous. I had the exact same thought as you two. Isn't this too soon? Here's the thing I think both of you missed. As much as WWE wants that massive match at Survivor Series and Royal Rumble and WrestleMania, they also have to compete with the NFL and Monday Night Football, and that is what is breathing down their necks right now. They have four weeks until the next pay-per-view, No Mercy, and in those four weeks, the NFL is starting, and their ratings are about to take a hit. So they are, they're, all their bullets are out. They're, they're shooting their bullets right now, and they're getting to this match. I do agree with Nick. I think it's going to extend at least until SummerSlam, uh, Survivor Series, if not further. And the one other point I want to make about Braun Strowman, they are doing for him what they did for Samoa Joe in his match against Brock Lesnar. They are building him up as a legitimate threat to beat Brock Lesnar, and that is not something that WWE always does with his competitors. If this was Finn Balor, he's gonna he's getting his little gnat hits and his little drop kicks off the rope and catching him off guard. They are making Braun Strowman look like he's a bigger beast than the beast, and that is why it's so compelling. Is Braun Strowman the next great WWE champion, like the next huge megastar for this company, Bri, in your opinion? That, that's the key question to find out whether he's just, you know, a giant who has his time when they, when you push him as unbeatable and then ultimately he gets it exposed. It feels like your- it's more than that, right? Like it feels uh, like he's got it. Whatever it is, it feels like Braun Strowman's got it. Because he's shown us flashes of, of what I like to call next level that other giants and big men in the past can't, right? Other big men, I mean, I'm not going back to like Giant Gonzalez. I'm just saying other big men can't kip up or do a missile drop kick or come off the top rope. And when we you, when you talk to Braun Strowman, which we have twice in the past month, he'll tell you, I got a lot more to show you. There's a lot more to come freak athleticism a guy who doesn't need to be good on the microphone because it's actually better for his character if he's not good on the microphone but, but, but he is actually pretty good on the microphone not though bad but he's a guy who's so who can act so vile yet get such incredible cheers because think about it 
they handled him correctly from his original Wyatt family building through his solo run with all the squash matches, a rare guy who had had kid gloves on him throughout the whole stretch. And they allowed him to grow in the proper amount of time that he needed to keep getting to the next level. It feels like WWE screws up a lot, right? By trying to get guys over, et cetera. They nailed it with Braun Strowman. Like, I think that they get a lot of credit for it. You give them credit. You give him credit because he's been awesome. The way that he's booked has been awesome. He's got, he checks off every single box. He's got the size. He's got the look. He's got the charisma. He's got the badass theme song. I don't know if I love the old Davy Boy Smith running power slam as his finisher, but look, <laughs> I mean, if he's putting Brock Lesnar through tables with it, then I think maybe it's a different story, but I, I can't wait for this match at No Mercy. I think maybe they pulled the trigger a little too soon, but I'm willing to give it the benefit of the doubt. And Bri, we're certainly going to have a ton of analysis leading up to this match coming up four weeks until the next pay-per-view. No mercy, Brock Brock Lesnar, Braun Strowman for the Universal Championship. So we mentioned the ovation that Braun Strowman got, right? And Braun's supposed to be a heel, but he's getting this face reaction. Bri, it was fascinating on Raw when John Cena makes his return to Monday Night Raw. Kurt Angle brings him out, and Cena gets in the ring and says there's one person he wants to talk to, and out comes Roman Reigns. And the two of them get in there. And maybe they tease a future program. But the crowd in Brooklyn booed them both mercilessly. I'm fascinated, Bri, because usually you and I talk before the show. You've been in Vegas. We haven't had the chance to chat. What you felt, empty the tank for us here on this Reigns-Cena segment and later main event tag team match on Monday Night Raw. I had that same fear you had with Brock Braun the whole time it's going on. I'm like, no, too soon, too soon. What are we doing? This has to be a tease. This is too early. This is WrestleMania written all over it. Of course, for a few minutes, I'm like, is this going to be a long build to WrestleMania? Is this going to be like a nine-month incredible started the day after SummerSlam, finished at, at WM34 in New Orleans? You know, it could it probably will down the road. This in the end was a tease. So it's one of those things where what they gave us in the beginning, loved it, loved the possibilities because what this feud does that's so unique to any other feud when they do roll it out is the fact that you have two extreme baby faces who get extreme polarizing reactions, who extremely the majority of your smart audience want both to turn heel. WWE won't, but yet or will, both will be allowed to act like heels against each other and still retain their babyface status. It's like a unique setup. It's going to be so money. You, we said in the past, what are the feuds where there's just money on the shelf at the bottom of Titan Towers that they can just cash in at any time? Rock versus Brock? Heck yeah. But Cena reigns, I think, eclipses that. So as much as I love the tease, once it became clear, though, that this was a ratings ploy, you know, it was a wah, wah. I'm not going to say I turned on the whole idea in the end. The main event, which I should have hated because the, the format of it, the idea of it, the predictability of it, I should have hated. But I had this talk with the Silver King. I came out of that main event going, you know what? I really enjoyed that. And I shouldn't have really enjoyed it. But it speaks to the star power, the unique idea there. Ratings play in the end. You better believe it. Hopefully, though, it was them testing the water, them saying, Who's the crowd going to like more? How much will the crowd pop for this? Maybe for them, it's like, we don't know yet if we're going this direction, WrestleMania 34. We want to find out tonight, though, where the crowd is feeling. There's a lot to delve into here, and we're going to delve into all of it because that's what we do on the in, in This Corner podcast. We service you, the wrestling fan. So you referenced that main event, Bri, and it was Cena and Reigns teaming up to take on Samoa Joe and The Miz. 
And Silver King, I want to give the Miz his due here because Miz came out while Reigns and Cena were in the ring. And Miz cut a promo that had the fans in Brooklyn buzzing. It had me buzzing. I know it had the Brian Campbell buzzing. And based on some of the emails that you have been sending this week, I know that you loved what you heard from the Miz on Monday night. Loved it, not just because he delivered an amazing line, maybe the most perfect promo line in WWE history, but because he did it after being insulted by Cena for flubbing Barclays Center, calling it Barclays Center or whatever he said. So he takes a shot from Cena and immediately comes back with, how many chances are you two going to get? How many times do we have to see you two in the ring in the main event? And you know what? Every single non-child WWE fan feels the exact same way. It was perfect timing, the perfect time to drop it. And did you guys pop like I did? Because I heard that and I just laughed out loud and I said, Yes. Well, well, he was he was great. And like he really he got rolling and it was the perfect crowd to do it in, a smart crowd in Brooklyn that absolutely loved it. And and you know what was great about it? Like and this is what's great about the Miz and he deserves his due as one of the very best promo guys in all of wrestling. When he he was so into it that when he delivered one of his final lines for 12 long years, <laughs> he was actually running out of breath because he was so invested in himself and the character that like he got so caught up in it that he almost couldn't finish it. Like I'm getting goose Pups thinking about it. Of course, the one problem with it, Bry, is Miz going, when am I going to get my moment? Hey, Miz, you main evented WrestleMania 27 and fell flat on your face, buddy. So you've had your moment before. But even with that said, Bry, it was still a great a great promo there by the Miz on Monday night. He's talking about the moment of the repackaged version of the Miz, this modern day, mm -hmm. you know, second half of career version, which I think is obviously his best. Version. Oh, stop it. He main evented a WrestleMania. He's had his moment already. That wasn't the best version of him. So we'll, we'll leave that where it is. I just want to say this. This felt so raw because it was real. It was so reminiscent of that Talking Smack promo that mm -hmm. Miz gave, by the way, a year ago to the week, right? It was two nights after SummerSlam last year when SmackDown was in Connecticut and I was backstage that day for about six hours, luckily to be there. That night, The Miz gave a scathing promo, I'm sure you remember, against Daniel Bryan yep. that went viral in one of the better promos of the last five years. It was incredible. You want to know why it's incredible? Because it was real. Because earlier in that day, I talked to Miz backstage just talking about his career and his life, just shooting the breeze, and he got all fired up and was like, you know, yeah, I got the Intercontinental belt, but they're not pushing me. I want to do more. I should be doing more. I know I can do more. I, mean, I can't get them to see that I can do more. That night, he gave a shoot promo on the year. Fast forward. Hold on a second. From the sound of it, I feel like we can credit the man whose name is on the marquee for, <laughs> for saving the Miz's career here, Brian. I, I mean, Horowitz myself, but that's true. And then you fast forward <laughs> one year later, Nick and I in the crowd when SummerSlam opens and the Miz is performing in the opening match with the IC belt on the preliminary card in front of about 36 people. And I don't know if anybody watched that, but after that match, he got in every camera's face and screamed and went nuts. Obviously, it was partially real because he's like, I have the IC belt and I'm opening this damn show in front of nobody. What happened two nights later? He gave a real promo that is real life, and obviously when it's real, it's better. It was a top, top-notch moment of the week type of type of situation. All right, so we're going to circle back to Reigns and Cena in a moment here, but want to hit the Samoa Joe part of this as well because I think what you may be getting here, I don't know that they'll pull the trigger on Cena Reigns coming up at No Mercy. Probably wait for that. So maybe you'll get Cena against Samoa Joe. There's a built-in story there. The two of them trained together, what, 15, 20 years ago? So there's something there, and maybe you do Reigns and Miz for the Intercontinental title 
middle, screw job, finish. So there are possibilities here, but I kind of like Pry. If, if we're going to get a short-term program for Joe and Cena, I think we could do a lot worse than those two here for about a month or so. Oh, and it'd be the perfect time to see what Joe has in something like this. Coming off of the Lesnar feud, being involved in the Fatal 4-Way, getting himself to a level that when he was in NXT, we just didn't think, or I didn't think was possible. I never thought Joe can come out of the NXT main event run, which was pretty good, but not great, and then be great consistently. What could he do opposite Cena? Holy crap, I want to find out. Yeah, I, I can't wait to find out either. So I love the Samoa Joe involvement. Miz was awesome as well. Now back to Cena and Reigns. Now I'm going to make a statement here, and I thought about this Monday night, and I've been waiting to share it with you guys because I can't wait to hear what you say. I think at this point, WWE may have blown it with Roman Reigns. Since the night, you, you can't say, and no one can see because this is an audio medium, it's but BC, scowl BC just face. scowled at me. So BC, <laughs> you get to you in a second, bud. Reigns' deal now, right, where he comes out and he does the slow walk and he shows no emotion and he does no emotion on the mic and he's keeping his promo short, it has been effective in spots. But I feel like he is now consistently being overshadowed and he's not getting the level of heat that he had been getting. It's not happening anymore. Cena overshadowed him. Joe overshadowed him. And obviously, The Miz overshadowed him. So I don't know that it's working right now for Roman Reigns in the way that WWE has wanted it to work for Roman Reigns. It's kind of um, uh, reactionary, the booking, but think about it. All we did, all us smart fans, was complain how much he got pushed too much. So if you're going backwards a little bit to, to a certain degree, but still keeping him in the main event run. I don't see how you can complain about that. I get your point that it's watering him down to a degree, but you know what watering down Roman Reigns to a degree has done allowed Samoa Joe and Braun Strowman to get the kind of push that maybe they wouldn't have had if Roman was still getting the booking he was getting a year ago, two years ago. So your point's right, but what has developed outside of that has been great in Roman saying less and allowing others to shine. Not only does it build them up, but it allows his in-ring work to speak louder in my eyes because you're not as focused on the things that annoy you about his push. Suddenly, no one's ripping the Superman punches they did in the in the past when they're just in like anti-Roman Reigns mode. I think overall it's very effective, and it was a way that WWE showed that we responded to fans' criticism, which they rarely do. Let's not forget, he just tore the house down with Braun Strowman four different matches over across a couple of pay-per-views. So he is still a, a marketable star and he's capable and he's over. Oh, what no, WWE, I'm not, I'm not I know that I know of course he is what WWE screwed up with Roman Reigns is when they inserted Seth Rollins into the finish of WrestleMania, because they knew the crowd would revolt if Roman Reigns won the title from then until now they have failed in saying, we're going to keep him a face, but we're not going to make him a baby face, baby face. I we're, don't know, bro. We're going to turn I, him. Can, can you blame them, though? Because, like, but Reigns had failed to get over before that, though. But here's the thing. There are some guys in the past WWE, and they don't do it really anymore. But if it's not working as a face, they turn them heel, they let them get their heat, then they turn them back face. WWE, for whatever reason, had so or Vince loves Roman so much, had so much invested in him, that they refused to give him an opportunity to be a legitimate heel to then do the face turn that gets you really over with the crowd because it's a bad guy becoming a good guy. Look at Seth Rollins. He was over as a heel, but he when he turned and now he's a face, he's with Dean Ambrose, he's getting tons of rub and excitement. You can't do that with Cena because he's too big of a star. He does too much charity work, and Roman does too, but he's too big of a of a piece of the puzzle. With Roman Reigns, they missed an opportunity, a two-year opportunity, where they could have actually turned him heel and then fixed it, and now he's a mega face going into that Lesnar 
Roman Reigns match at WrestleMania that everyone wants. So, Bri, WrestleMania 34. Let's just say, right, they're going to do the same main events as 31. It's Reigns-Lesnar again. They are in the exact same boat three years later that they were in three years ago because if that's the main event, there is going to be almost nobody in that crowd at the Mercedes-Benz Superdome in New Orleans will be there for it. No one is going to want to see Roman Reigns win that match, and the people are going to boo the hell out of Roman Reigns if and when he goes over Brock Lesnar. Unless you have him go over with Heyman turning on Brock as well and Heyman joining Reigns, then it would be almost like... Those booze were turned into cheers. Well, but, but, no, more, but the, the, that's a heel turn, though, for Roman. Uh, you, yeah, you could still keep it as a quasi heel turn, like they like to do. Whatever. That's future talk. You're right. That's maybe why we're going Cena Reigns instead of instead of Brock Roman. You know, we'll we'll see. Time will tell. Yeah, I don't know. I just I I have an issue with the way that 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 has gone down, and we'll see how it goes here. Going to no mercy with the booking of these four and Bry with the main event now in the rearview mirror. We progress to the Silver King's favorite segment where he gets to be the crooked Russian judge. It is Hero or Zero. Drop that Zero and get with the Hero. Still hate the sound effect, but we'll work with it. Silver King. Oh, kidding me? That's a classic. It's, Come on. It's Who okay. So here he is, Comrade Silverstein here with the uh, with the first question as Brian and I go head-to-head best of five. So we just spent 20 minutes talking about Raw, guys. Let's talk SmackDown, which I thought was the better show this week, it, By far. Lo- it looks like we finally have an end to this long-term AJ Styles, Kevin Owens feud with one final title match on SmackDown. Baron Corbin started out as the special guest referee. Shane McMahon wound up with that jersey and finished out the match. And it looks like we're getting a Shane McMahon, Kevin Owens feud that I predicted a couple weeks ago would be happening. Hero or zero on this potential feud and WWE using Shane so much in the ring since his return to the company, Brian. Well, zero on you saying SmackDown was better. I don't agree with that, but that's another side topic. It was right, right. right. No, SmackDown, SmackDown was better, vastly, significantly. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll beg to differ there. Uh, you know, it's it's not bad, but it's also not great. I kind of got to give this a zero. They stretched out the AJ Kevin Owens feud, I think, a little bit too long, and running it back again, again on Tuesday night when it finally felt like we had closure for AJ and KO at the very least on Sunday night. Certainly not closure for AJ. I'm sorry for KO and and Shane. I'm not against Shane being involved in a feud. I just like it when it's closer to a major. So it matters. You don't need a long build. He came back at, at survivor series last year and it felt like too much, right? Even though that's a major, it felt like he was forcing himself back in the ring and he got hurt and the storyline wasn't good enough. I like when he comes back, to wrestle at, at WrestleMania, and I like when he comes back to do what he did at SummerSlam, which was make an appearance and be a part of something. I'm not saying that he's going to be fighting Owens at the next pay-per-view, but it kind of feels like we're going in that direction. So even though all roles were performed well, I'm going to kind of give the overall thing a soft zero at this point. It's not really moving me like it should. All right, so a couple things here. Number one, just so you know, Bri, because I'm sitting next to Silver King here in the office while you're in Las Vegas cavorting, having a great time. 
as soon as you disagreed with Silver King's take on SmackDown and Raw being better, he leaned over and gave me and gave me the one. So he is already the crooked <laughs> Russian judge already because that's what happens. Like this you is agree, a lie. you agree with Silver King, he gives you the point. So I already have won this point here. So I I might as well stop talking, but I won't because I like to talk. So um, how about Silver King? By the way, going he predicted the Owen Chain match. What's the, what's your next prediction, Silver King? The sun's gonna come out tomorrow. Yeah, like of a course mo- that was like a prediction. month ago, like well well in the past. It was it was easy to see. It's not a great prediction sure. now. I have no issue with Shane being involved. You know why? Shane is so ridiculously over. Like, the crowd goes insane for Shane the way they do for, like, I dare I say it, like a John Cena. Maybe not to that level, but the crowd goes nuts for Shane. So I like any involvement with Shane McMahon right now. I like the Styles Baron Corbin pair. Now, I don't think Corbin should win if they have a pay-per-view match, but if there's anyone that could make Baron Corbin look good, and let's be honest, Baron Corbin needs to look good right now, it's AJ Styles who could make a, a broomstick look good um, in a match. So I'm going to give this a hero here. Hero all around. Hero for Styles Corbin. Hero for KO or Shane. The one thing I don't like for storyline continuity, Kevin Owens now has bullied his way into like five or six different things on the storyline. Like he bullied his way into money in the bank. He wasn't in it, came out and, and, and through a fit got in. He's talked himself into like 19 U.S. championship matches now. Hey, KO, get in the back of the line, buddy, and wait just like everybody else does. But aside from that, a massive hero for this and a massive hero, Silver King, for a spectacular edition of SmackDown. And have I told you recently today that you look great? I love the compliments, obviously. I will say it's a lie. No one got the point before this started. However, the point that they made two potential matches for the next pay-per-view with Baron Corbin and AJ Styles, and they got KO, and you can never get too much Shane McMahon. Nick does end up getting the point. What a shocker. Moving on to number two, we're staying with the blue brand here. Uh, Dolph Ziggler returned to SmackDown. You guys know I popped for that. And cut a shoot-style promo about needing to do something flashy so he's no longer overlooked with upper management and with the fans. Here or zero on whether this is a turnaround for the Ziggler character, what we've been wanting to see for such a long time, or just more of the same and he's going to do the job to someone. Nick, here or zero. Bri, can I ask you something first here? Like, I know that Ziggler has, like, always, like, kind of looked like Kurt Hennig, like Mr. Perfect. Like, now that his hair is a little longer, I feel like he's, like, like Kurt Hennig's doppelganger. Like, they, we might quite have just called Dolph Ziggler Mr. Perfect at this point. You mean rather than being a poor man, Shawn Michaels? Rather than, the, I, I have always looked at him as more of being like a Mr. Perfect than, than a Shawn Michaels, but he looks like, like Kurt Hennig now with this longer hair. Um, I'm going to reserve judgment here. It's more of a hero because it was an entertaining segment, but let's see what happens next week now when Ziggler does whatever he said he was going to do because he built to that moment, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this next week, and then walked away. So if if they can deliver on this for Ziggler and book him well, the guy's going to be over because he's awesome, and the promo was great. I actually, Bri, will go so far to say it was the best promo of Dolph Ziggler's career. Big-time hero, but also reserving judgment here because I don't want to see the writers foul it up for him. Uh, this is a massive hero all the way around. Great promo because it touched on real-life things like the Miz's uh, on Monday night for the same reason right there. He basically ripped Naomi's entire character with that glow mention that he referenced in there, which was hilarious because, you know, my feelings on that. It's like, let's just give her some gimmick that doesn't really attach to her or make any sense. That's just totally like for the fans to pop at. And in his sort of commentary and the fact that they allowed him to be that real was incredible because, look, Ziggler... Going back to the days when he couldn't get out of the the John Cena situation to now, he's just constantly on the wrong side of the booking, constantly going uphill. Even when they turned him heel last year and it looked like he was going to finally get a run, he went nowhere and he was suddenly jobbing to Kalisto. 
that's sometimes when you get somebody frustrated, you get them to the point where they have nothing left to lose and they do their best work. I think Ziggler could be on that verge. I think this could be the thing that catapults him, especially if they let him go on this run now of just being somebody who gets in the faces of people and tells it like it is and tells the same things that the fans are thinking watching at home. Massive hero potential. I think because SmackDown kind of has a thin roster at the moment, especially with big name heels, there could be an opening for him with this. So you had me, BC, up until that end. They have a thin roster. I don't think so. Talk about the heels on SmackDown. They, they just, do anything they just brought in Bobby Roode. Well, Bobby Roode's a face. Who they push as a face. Uh, uh, the crowd responded as a face, but are they going to push him as a face? Oh, all right, let's get to All right, give your ruling here, because Silver King, you're way off here, and then the next question's about Bobby Roode, well, so we'll get to that in a second. We're giving the point to Nick. You basically repeated what he said. It's a good segment, but... Uh, the handsome one said it first. See, Bri, this is the problem. You haven't been agreeing. I've been agreeing, so I get the point. He from said the, the same as you. Judge. You both said the same thing. You said it first, and he didn't say enough. Next question, Silver King. We're moving on. After losing his NXT title on Saturday, there was a glorious debut on Tuesday as Bobby Roode made his presence felt on SmackDown. This is actually a two-parter here. First, Hero Zero on the introduction and everything that you saw with Roode on SmackDown. Second, on NXT Wednesday, he said he has unfinished business there. He still plans to fight Roderick Strong and get his NXT title rematch. So here are a zero on him splitting time, potentially, and a second one on whether you liked the introduction, BC. A zero on the introduction. This was worse of a failure than calling Shinsuke Nakamura the rock star, and here's the reason. Bobby Roode is so impressive in his presentation, but the bottom line is, as a heel in NXT, he's like this badass dude who takes great care of himself and takes no crap from other people. He was somebody that was so cool that the, the fact that he also had a really amazing theme song and a really amazing look just sort of catapulted him extra. Well, what did they do with him on the main roster? They inverted that. They made him all about his gimmick. They presented him as a face, which makes absolutely no sense, and had him pander to his own gimmick like four times too much, including again in the post-match interview where he basically like didn't answer the question that was asked to him and just did the glorious thing once again and didn't time it right with the crowd. Guys, he's a cool badass as a heel. Now we're going to push him as someone to cheer for just because he had a cool theme song. It's totally like the main roster thing that they do a lot, which is take something awesome, put it in the take a piece of steak, put it in the McDonald's microwave and have it come out. And it looks like a flat burger just so they can sell it to the masses. That's what they're trying to do with Bobby Roode here. It's an absolute zero. It totally took away from what, what I love about him. But the idea of doing more at NXT before he's done is a hero because it will allow him to put Roderick Strong over and we've seen a couple times Kevin Owens came up to the main roster before he was done at NXT and he ended up jobbing out and losing the title to Finn Balor which made a lot of sense the same thing happened to Bailey when she came back for a rematch at last year's SummerSlam against Asuka to sort of give her one more time an extra push on the way out that's a hero and what they're doing on the NXT side do you want to know it's, why it's a hero because Triple H is running the show, and that's why Bobby <laughs> Roode was great in NXT, and that's why he didn't look good at SmackDown, in my opinion, once he got into Vince and Kevin Dunn's hands. All right, so let, let me start there with the, with the last thing that you said. I agree with everything you said about NXT. The one thing that I will add here, and we appreciate our guy Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer giving the Brian Campbell and the In This Corner podcast a nice pop in the latest edition of the Wrestling Observer newsletter for Brian's exclusive one-on-one sit-down last week with Triple H. And Triple H said it to you, Brian, that the NXT roster not 
not what it has been recently. So I think that this is a smart move by him to say, okay, even though we needed to promote Rude, and even though he's on the main roster now, let's still have him be a part of NXT for now as we finagle and try and figure out who our new stars are going to be. That is obviously a hero, and you already laid that out. But man, I could not disagree with more with the first part of what you said. Of course it was a hero. Like you're saying, buddy, like, like, like Bobby Roode went out there and got no reaction for what he did. The crowd was going insane for him. He got the biggest pop the entire night. The, people love Chance. This is pro wrestling. They love Chance. He sold his soul for the pop of who the can, but who? But, like, you said he's a badass heel. Like, you know what people like to do to badass heels? Cheer them. Like, he, like it was just a natural transition for him. People like chants. People like hand signals. Bobby Roode's got a great chant right now. He's got a great line, a great catchphrase, and he's got a great thing that he does as I'm doing. You can't see it, but with his standing his arms out for the glorious. People were going nuts for it, and people around the country are going to keep going nuts for it because the theme song's great and because he's pretty damn good and he's got the look. This is a massive hero. Bobby Roode is glorious, and he won't give in. He won't give in until he's victorious. It looked like the Miz's old gimmick before he would take off his sunglasses when he would do that really weird handshake bird thing. It was, it's no, it's a fail. Come yes, on. except the difference is Miz was not over and Bobby Roode's insanely over. Nick's 100% right that Bobby Roode's insanely over and it's a great gimmick, but the introduction was terrible. They went to commercial three seconds into the guy's first ever match on the WWE main roster. Match didn't matter. Absolute zero for that. Oh, I have one thing to add really quickly sure. here. Like, Aiden English is a guy that you've been given a couple wins recently. Like, you, you gave him a couple wins. They couldn't find some other heel, Jobert, to put Bobby Roode over. Like, someone else. Like, did it have to be Aiden English? I didn't like that, but that's a quick aside. Silver King. BC gets the point. And by the way, where's Luke Harper, guys? He doesn't exist anymore. Number four here, the Enzo Amore big Cass feud came to a screeching halt Monday in a street fight. It appeared as if Cass was going to go over once again and finally end that feud. And unfortunately, it looks like he tore his ACL in the affair and it's going to be out nine months. This gave Enzo Amore the unexpected victory. And what did he do? He turned up on 205 Live Tuesday night after SmackDown. Hero or zero to Amore on 205 Live and his possible upcoming feud with Neville. First thing on Big Cass, get well soon, big guy. Like we've talked about, obviously, we don't love the way that it's been handled since they did the split. His stuff with Enzo, his stuff with the Big Show. That does not mean that anyone wants anyone to not be on TV. So obviously, Cass, get well soon, like, and, and he'll be back and hopefully better than ever because I my heart sunk when I saw him get injured on Monday night. That was tough to watch. But as for Enzo, like... Put some juice in 205 Live, man, and say what you want about the guy. He's over with the crowd, and his catchphrases are fun. And it was cool when he came out and did the his old routine and even through the SAWFT at Neville. Bry, anything that gets more eyeballs on 205 Live right now I think is a good thing. This has to be a hero. It's an absolute hero. I, I absolutely have to basically punt the punt the uh, point to you on this one because it's a zero for Amore's career. It's because, you know, he's obviously had some backstage heat. You see that in the way he's been booked. You see that in the way he's been downgraded as a character. This is the best thing that can happen to 205 Live, though, getting a real talker on there that you take notice, that you go out of your way to watch. So good good news for, for him. But, yeah, give Nick the point. Point goes to here for Nick. It's 3-2, to two, that number three question. I told you guys it was two-parter. BC got two points on that. It's 3-2, to two, entering number five. BC, you need a two-point answer to pull off the upset here. I, I love, like the Russian judge making up the rules as he goes along. It's incredible. Hey, you have the lead. All you need to do is hold on to it, okay? There was one other wrestler who made a big return on Tuesday, and it was Shelton Benjamin, can we get that music? Stop 
Kurt Angle announced that SmackDown received him in what ended up being a trade kind of. Daniel Bryan. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Daniel Bryan with Kurt Angle and Raw uh, getting him on the roster. And he announced him basically as Chad Gable's new partner. Guys, does this make any sense to you when they could have, you know, just moved American Alpha over to Raw? BC, let's start with you. Hero or Zero? You know, I don't I don't know if I have a two point answer here, but I will say it does make a lot of sense to me only under the guise of what they're doing, which is they believe in Jason Jordan. They believe that he's better than the American Alpha tag team, even though that tag team was over. And even though they do incredible work in the ring, it was time to give Jordan a chance. The bottom line is they don't have a lot of African-American superstars being pushed in a solo nature. So it's good to see Jordan get that push right there and replacing him with a guy who we were all going to pop for in Shelton Benjamin, a guy who was supposed to come back last year, but suffered an injury right beforehand and had to sit out a while. A guy who I can't believe is 42 years old. Like, you know, he debuted right around 2000. The the math makes sense, but it's sort of like, wow, look, he's not going to be the same Shelton of old, but it'll pop nostalgia. Gable is not ready to be a singles performer. I'm not sure if he ever will outside of like a cruiserweight situation. So it makes perfect sense. You can still call him American Alpha. Everything still works in it. It's yeah, a hero. it's a hero for me too. And and look, like maybe Silver King, to your point, they should have left American Alpha together. But hard to to bang on WWE for swinging for the fences with the Jason Jordan, Kurt Angle thing. And I think like jury's still out. Let's see how they end up handling this. Jason Jordan in a nice match with, with Finn Balor, which I know we'll talk about a little later on Monday Night Raw. So I, I can't bang on them for that. It's got to be a hero because Chad Gable's awesome, man. Like he's so damn good in the ring. We know Shelton's really good in the ring. These two are going to put on really good matches. I think it makes a lot of sense. I think it's an obvious hero. So you guys put me in a tight spot here because that point does go to BC. We have a 3-3 three to three tie. First time ever in Hero or Zero. Now, this is a little-known provision here, Bri, but are you ready for it? The stipulation says that if we are tied at the end of Hero or Zero, the point and the victory automatically goes to the man whose name is on the marquee <laughs> because his name is on the marquee. So, Brian, you are the winner of this week's Hero or Zero. Congratulations, buddy. Yeah, about time I'm back on top, and that corrects uh, the Silver King's uh, judging error early in the show, so I that's mean, great. Seriously, right. I mean, the guys like Stalin and Lennon rolled into one here with the, with the, with the crooked judging. Now, Bri, we, Oco, were live, we were live on Saturday night uh, in Brooklyn, New York at Barclays for NXT TakeOver Brooklyn number three. So let's quickly run through this card. Um, this was my first NXT experience. Never been to an NXT show before. Have not really watched NXT I had a great time. Crowd was great. Matches were great. And the first match, Bri, I thought really started the night off well with your guy. How the hell do you pronounce this dude's name? Andrade Sin Almas. Is that correct? Wow. Wow. You sound like my dad (laughs) trying to like. Well, this is how Silver King wrote this out. So Silver King, I think, screwed up. It's the guy's name. His name's Andrade Cien Almas. That's how it's spelled. That's his name. Andrade Cien Almas. That's right. And he beats our guy, Johnny Wrestling, in a fantastic opener, BC. Yeah, look, this was a great match to kick off the main card. It was probably better than it had any right to be. And I love that my guy, Sienna, is getting a push like this. Who is so much better as a heel and so much better as a heel with Vega in his corner, who is hot fire in terms of her looks. And storyline-wise... He's got the whole Tranquillo gimmick going on, right? Like like it doesn't matter to him. And she's pushing him to be dirtier and, and, and evil. And obviously she had a big role in the way this match ended by throwing the DIY shirt at Gargano right before the finish. I loved everything about this match. The action was high intensity and I love that finish and how they tied in Gargano's former tag team. I want to see Almas go far. He's sort of the perfect guy for me to love in the fact that he doesn't really have top end potential. He's not tall. I can't really ever see him winning like the IC belt. You 
love the mid-carders, man. That's your gimmick. I, I just can't I fall for these guys, and I love this match. I love that he went over. It was a fantastic match. I loved it, too. Great opener. Crowd was going nuts. Johnny Wrestling, fantastic. So good stuff there with however the hell you pronounce his name, beating Johnny Gargano <laughs> in the opener. Um, Alistair Black is a guy that I had heard a lot about, BC, superstar potential. The guy's got a great look. He's got a great finisher, and he used that finisher to beat Hideo Itami, uh, BC, in a match that I thought was pretty good. Pretty good. It got off to a slow start. I thought this was going to be match of the night sneaky potential because of the, the stiffness and the strikes that you were going to see, the MMA quality. You know, it was almost like quasi NJPW. It took a while to get going. In the end, it was good. You like that WWE took a chance on the intro of having the live rock band, having Black rise up and walk through them. What I learned from this match is the same thing I learned from recent months, that Triple H loves Aleister Black and that this guy is going to be on the main roster quicker than any of us think because his look is so unique and his style is so new. You, you can kind of call him the Dutch Nakamura in a sense, but I think he's different than Shinsuke. And I think that he brings such realness to his striking. I know he's got a background in kickboxing in Holland that this guy's got such massive potential. I don't know if he can be a babyface Satanist, but that's for another topic for another day. Uh, you know, I was really dis- I, you know, I was really disappointed I, by this match. I think this might have been Hideo Itami's last chance to really get over. Like, I was expecting a massive, massive match between these two guys that would have been match of the night, like you said, we would all be talking about today. And instead it was okay, and of course Black went over because he's amazing. Completely agree with you. I would put him on the main... If they weren't so depleted of talent in NXT, I don't mean talent, but like guys that can win the title and actually compete, I'd have him on the main roster already because he's that good. He's completely ready. He's 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 a main roster guy. He's a future IC champion, in my opinion. But Hideo Itami, like, this guy was a major Japanese star, and it is just not working in WWE. Brian. He never recovered from those injuries the past two years. Two major injuries. Let's forget. Let's not forget WrestleMania 31. He was that NXT guy they plucked out of uh, right. out of NXT and put in that battle royal to kind of give a push that this guy might have next. In early 2015, he was sensational on NXT. Stiff, quick. He's just not the same anymore, and it's really hard to see that. Bri, hit us with a couple thoughts on the tag championship. A change in belts as sanity goes over the authors of pain. You know, we thought this match was missing someone small that can bump, that can do some aerial moves, that it wasn't going to be the the triple threat match we saw at the TakeOver Orlando. Late switch of having Eric Young in the match, or at least it felt like a late switch, was smart. You got some of that. It was probably the best it could be with two really strong teams, you know, physical teams. There was some innovation in the match. It had some real heat late. And I was a little bit surprised to see Sanity go over and win the titles here because AOP had been so dominant. And hopefully this sets up a longer feud with a longer story to tell. But obviously we have uh, the introduction of of, of the new faction that we're going to get to that could splash the party. You know, the Red Dragon tag team that could splash the party are coming in from Ring of Honor. But that was the the run-in at this match that when Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish beat down Sanity afterwards, actually beat down everybody in the ring afterwards that splashed the pot and made it interesting at where we go next but like I said surprised that Sanity going over but clearly they're over so it's not that big of a deal you talk about where we go next let's go to that new faction next now it was it was the main event of the show it wasn't the best match on the show we'll talk about that coming up in a moment here but Drew McIntyre beats Bobby Roode for the NXT World Championship so McIntyre's the guy we see Roode on Smackdown Roode will be back on NXT but let's Pause for a second here on that match. We'll talk about that match, and let's get into Bobby Fish, Kyle O'Reilly, 
And Adam Cole, baby. Adam Cole coming out at the very end of the night with the, the two aforementioned uh, Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly. Um, the crowd in Brooklyn, Bri, went absolutely crazy for this. Very cool to see Cole and company now under the WWE umbrella in NXT. Cole is so over. And, you know, but okay, so over from the smart marks that make up NXT crowds where they want to cheer everything, right? You know, you, have to, you do have to say that. It'd be interesting if he walked out on Raw, what his reaction would be a little bit di- different. But this was such a good move by NXT. And to present him this way, where guess what? He didn't just sit in the crowd like they've done in the past with Bobby Roode or Drew McIntyre when they make their NXT, you know, first debut that you know they're on the company. They let him run in and beat down their new champion and let a faction form. And right now we have a problem on the main roster. Like we talked about outside of the Mysteride, there's no factions. You might think the New Day is a faction. That's your opinion. I think they're a tag team with three guys. You're right. You have they're a wrong. Yep. of a badass faction here, and it kind of feels like it could be an invasion angle type situation because all three guys are over with Ring of Honor. They've done some time in New Japan, and they're coming in there and being pushed to the top right away, and Adam Cole can talk on the mic. He can be somebody who can be the face of a faction. Great news for the brand because that Rude McIntyre match to me was not good. And to see this as the spinoff, this was the Band-Aid you put on at the end of the show. I actually agree with you. And I think a lot of the feedback I've seen on social media, like people really like the Rude McIntyre match. I don't know what people were watching, Bri, because I was with you and I was there and you were there. And I was like, eh, this ain't this ain't so good. Like the match wasn't great. The post-match angle was terrific. How do you feel, Bri, about Drew McIntyre as now as the guy in NXT? I'm okay with it. You know, the fact that he's going to potentially be feuding against Adam Cole is going to make it a lot better. I think Drew McIntyre in the end is going to work better on the main roster than he will at NXT. I don't think he's the right style of performer for NXT in a way. He's more of like a main roster performer, I think, to your point. Right. He's more of a main roster icy title guy in the long run. I don't think he's ever going to be what Vince originally thought he would be, right? Even though he's done well to repair himself since leaving there. I'm okay with it for now. We'll see him on the main roster in probably a year. Now, the best match on the card, man. I'm officially a huge Asuka Mark. Uh, She beats Ember Moon via submission. This match was great. You give credit to both performers. Standing ovation for Asuka as she left. Standing ovation for Ember Moon after Asuka left. So the crowd was clearly into this now. The thing that sucks. Silver King. Now Asuka has got this serious injury here and could miss some time. Fill us in. Yeah, it seems like a broken collarbone. I think they're saying six weeks or so, six to eight weeks. Where that would really matter is on the main roster because you're missing two months of TV. You're screwed. In NXT, they tape like four shows at a time on a Wednesday or you know earlier in the week and air them over a month. So she's only missing two NXT tapings if she gets back in time. So there's a lot of questions here. And BC, I'll, I'll go to you with this question. What does, let's also say the match was incredible. That's all I really need to say about it. Maybe best women's match in WWE history. Um, But let's get to this. What does WWE do with Asuka? Do you strip her of the title, make her vacate it so she doesn't lose a match, bring her up to the main roster, she still has her winning streak, whatever, or do you wait the two months and just kind of keep going on? You don't have a takeover coming up until Survivor Series and kind of just let her go through her motions. Well, first of all, that match was incredible, like you mentioned. I thought it was the best women's match in WWE since the four horsewomen in NXT in 2015. They were putting on one incredible match after another. I can't believe how much Moon got over and how quickly she progressed to be believable at the main event level. So what do you do next? 
I kind of like the idea, and they do this too much in the UFC, of creating an interim title because Moon has climbed that ladder so quickly in believability. I mean, I never would have guessed she could have a classic like this opposite Asuka and be believable as a champion. Let her win back that – let her win an interim title in the meantime. Let Asuka stay out for maybe even a little bit longer in terms of her ring time and then set up the idea of unifying that title. And what that does in the meantime is it gets Moon over even more. Then you have the match. I'm sorry, Asuka goes over, but then she leaves the territory. Moon still stays behind as the the best women in your in your territory, but you still have the built-in storyline that she wants revenge one day on the main roster. I think it's sort of a best-case scenario to all. I don't send Asuka up yet until she completes the journey of putting over Moon, and she can put over Moon without Moon beating her. Get well soon, Asuka, because, man, I, I loved, loved that match. The best women's match I've seen in person. Crowd was going nuts for it. I was going nuts for it. I marked out a couple times for some false finishes. That was really superb stuff. Get well soon, Asuka. We want to see you back in the ring as soon as possible. Now, Bri, this is generally the spot in the show where we answer DMs. We will not be doing that this week. Tell the audience why. Uh, we have we do have a shorter runtime this week. We also did not get great DMs this week. So this is a show that is for the people, by the people. We want to hear your take. We want to hear what you have to say. We also want you to step it up and bring it. Yeah, so I'm going to add a little bit there because Brian's a really nice guy and I'm more <laughs> of a dick, to be honest. Um, I saw the DM questions. They're, look, you listeners, the guys that listen to the show, you guys are awesome. You guys know what you're talking about. Send us some good questions. I mean, put a second of thought into it when you send it over. Next week when we do this segment, we slide into the DMs at BK. Campbell CBS at the Costos at Silverstein Adam hashtag in this corner on Twitter. We want better questions. I believe in you guys. You need to believe in yourselves. Look in the mirror and say, I can do it and get the damn job done. So since we do have a shorter runtime because Brian Campbell's got a lot going on in Las Vegas, let's move to pay-per-view rundown where we had the semifinals, Bri, of the Cruiserweight Classic from last year. You said pay-per-view rundown. I think you mean pay-per-view rewind. Yes. I botched that really badly, didn't I? Like, you can pop for that theme song. I pop for the theme song, but I also pop for, for my botch there, which I, I, I just I, I butchered the intro there. So, Bri, just tell us why you picked this match, Kota Bushi against TJ Perkins. 2016, the Cruiserweight Classic semifinals. Guys, this was, in for my money, the best match of the tournament. You may have liked Ibushi versus Cedric Alexander better because it was more spot-heavy, but this match... Okay, it crystallized, it conceptualized, and it brought to you the idea that we go, man, we love NJPW. Why don't we see enough of that in WWE, that style, that emotion, that raw energy? Well, you had it last year in the Cruiserweight Classic, and for everybody that has issue with 205 Live, and I don't blame you, by the way. I love 205 Live, but I don't blame you. Man, look at what you had last summer, WWE, and the way that you presented cruiserweights. You presented them real, as if the matches really mattered. Presented in a shoot style. From the crowd going nuts for every false finish, to the referee giving instructions before the match, to the pre-match handshake, to, to the announcers talking about who each guy defeated in the tournament to get there. WWE didn't know what it had, and I think fans almost dismissed this too quickly. Like, oh yeah, that was fun. Go back and watch this thing. This is like the best version that you could make of NJPW in WWE and this match in particular, TJ Perkins versus Kota Ibushi in the semifinals, summed up to me what this tournament was all about and what really made this match incredible. 
not just the high spots, not just the the chain wrestling early that led to MMA shoot moves, that led to these creative submissions. Moro Ronaldo and Daniel Bryan were absolutely at their A game. That announced pairing was incredible, but in this match, they brought urgency every time something happened that the match could end any time. And the reason why that matters is because they made sure you believe that each match mattered, that each match, each superstar was building toward something, building toward getting to a moment in their career that they had worked for their whole life. All the post-match interviews were done in shoot style and that helped. But you look back that like Daniel Bryan's basically being Joe Rogan of the UFC during this whole tournament and specifically during this match. There were some sick sequences there, guys. I mean, Moro had some great calls on a close pin. He goes, that was conjoined twins close. I popped for that, right? <laughs> Another time he's like, the ropes might as, might as well have been another time zone as TJP puts the knee bar and Abushi can't get to the ropes. And then there was this one after Abushi missed an absurd Phoenix splash into the middle of the ring. This is strong style. This is Kota Ibushi. No, I played the, the, the wrong sound at the wrong time. But, but, that, was, but, but that was good. Though. That was good. <laughs> that was good. Though. You're getting my point there that, uh, okay, let me get it. Abushi misses a, misses a ridiculous Phoenix splash off the top rope and Moro hits us with this. Ibushi! I mean, hear the intensity right there. Hear the creativity. This is what I want WWE to be, and this match was incredible. What did you guys feel going back and watching it? Well, in in, in between my botches and your botches, this is like that Jackie Gata, Trish Stratus, mad, famous <laughs> match that Vince McMahon poo-pooed uh, on Raw about a decade and a half ago. So so we, we could do better than that, Brian. I don't know if these two guys could do better. And, and here's the thing, right? I people the listeners of the show, regular listeners know I don't watch 205 Live and I I frequently poop on 205 Live. Like, why would you watch it? I didn't watch the Cruiserweight Classic. This was my first introduction to it. And from the wow. intros, probably the one thing that I'll say that the one thing that you left out that I really liked is that they give you the home country. So it was Obushi from Japan, TJ Perkins representing the Philippines. So I like that little touch too. This was New Japan Pro Wrestling under the WWE umbrella. And the match was freaking glorious. I mean, it was superb. By the end, it was Mark Out City. And like for me, I'm laughing after these near falls. And when I'm laughing after near falls, it's just like I'm like, I'm in awe. Like I laugh because what the hell else do you do? Yeah. You're just, you, you acquiesce to the greatness that you're seeing before you. The announced team was great. Perkins was great. Abushi was his normal great stuff, his great self. And the presentation, Bry, it did. It felt like if you had told me this was a match out of this year's G1, I would have believed you. Like, Japanese commentary instead of English, you tell me this is from the G1, I would have been, yeah, it, it was from the G1, and the match was great. And the thing that runs so stark to me now, why the hell can't WWE figure it out with 205 Live, right? If you nailed the Cruiserweight Classic like this, if you put on a one-hour-a-week show like this, in that style, in that format, with announcers putting it over the right way, and the workers being allowed to work the way they did, 205 Live would be huge. Instead, we've got Enzo Amore strutting around. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's a disaster. And it's just a missed opportunity, Bri, by WWE. But as for this match, I, I didn't like it when you initially said it last week. I was like, uh. But after I watched it, thank you very much for doing it because I love the fact that I got to go back and watch it, and I hope that the listeners feel the same way. I'm not going to talk about the match and why I loved it so much because both of you said literally everything else. It's, it's, I'm not going to repeat it. What I am going to say is this, to answer Nick's question. The 205 Live in the Cruiserweight division is in a weird purgatory in WWE right now. They needed to make a choice. Either it's separate 
and they don't fight the main roster guys, and you do it in Orlando at the NXT in front of that crowd that's going to buy it and love it and sell it just like the Cruiserweight Classic, or you put it after, you know, with the Raw, Ross, or whatever, you do it on that show, and you do it in front of a live crowd, and you let them integrate into the main roster. They're in a weird purgatory in between those two where it's just not working. So that's why that's not working, and I want to put over Mauro Ranallo, and I want to shill for him because he's calling Mayweather McGregor on Saturday, and if you weren't going to watch it for whatever reason, you're stupid, but Mauro Ronaldo is calling it. That means it's a must-watch fight. So between Mauro and Daniel Bryan on the call and being cruiserweight classic, and I'm so glad, Nick, that you got an opportunity to see it for what it was. Me too. That is why I loved it, and that match was the best match of that entire event. Ending what was was what absolutely was incredible. They they Abushi was the tournament favorite coming in, so they played up TJP as the underdog in this one. Abushi finally hits his finisher. It's the Golden Star Bomb. It's the Power Bomb. Picks you up like a regular Power Bomb, but gives you this ridiculous wedgie and slams you down hard. The ref, as the ref is counting, and Abushi gets the pin. He's counting out the numbers with his hand and going sick with his face. And when he gets to three, and TJP kicks out, the drama is so absurd. It looks like. Abushi is selling that a member of his family dies. So how does it end? TJP ends up getting the knee bar, and, and, it's, and it's excruciating as he's going for the finish here. Check it. Just listen to the emotion here of what happens. TJP's got the knee bar going. Then he puts on the cross face, which exposes Abushi's injured neck, which he just had surgery on. Listen to this. <laughs> I in that moment popped so hard I almost and this is going to sound crazy but this is the point you get when you love art and this is art I had a tear forming in my eyes Moro made that moment so specially made it real and made it matter and he had like one more moment of just poppation afterwards and it's incredible to think you know why that's awesome? TJ Perkins just pulled an upset and won this ridiculous match in the semifinals and afterwards cuts this shoot promo about his journey in pro wrestling and finally get to this point. And then Moro reminds you that he's got one more match later that night and he's got to go to the locker room and figure out how to win it. That made it feel real. That's why this match was an encapsulation of why this tournament ruled. Dude, your explanation of that, quite frankly, ruled just now. That was that was classic the Brian Campbell. That's why your name's on the marquee, my friend. Uh, Dave Mel gave this match four and a half stars. Uh, we'll do our five-star ratings here. Uh, Silver King, what do you give this here, Abushi and Perkins? I think that nailed it, 4.5 stars. Bry? I actually think Dave was right on here. My my heart wants to give five, but it had a little bit of limitations, right? And for what it was, four and a half was absolutely perfect. It was a little slow in the beginning. This is like standing in the Louvre and criticizing the Mona Lisa. Four and a half stars, maybe 4.75, a little short of five, but hot damn. Great match and great call by you. Your second pick, Brian Campbell, for pay-per-view rewind. I got it right that time. So, Bri, now with your second turn in the books, that means it's my turn. Turn number two my pay-per-view rewind pick, and I've got a really good one for you and for the listeners. Let's turn the clock back to 1997. Brett the Hitman Hart is in the middle of his sensational run as the Canadian agitator, booed mercilessly in the United States, cheered like the conquering hero up north, and his adversary at the time, Stone Cold Steve Austin. And at a little-known pay-per-view that does not get talked about too much called Canadian Stampede, it was one of the in-your-houses, Canadian 
stampede. Every single match on the card was good. If it were a three-hour show and if it were bigger, this would be talked about as one of the best shows in the history of WWE. No, that is not hyperbole. Give it a shot and watch the whole thing if you'd like. But the one match that you got to watch for pay-per-view rewind, it's the main event. It is a 10-man tag match north of the border. Team Stone Cold Steve Austin, which features Austin, the Legion of Doom, Ken Shamrock, and Goldust against the Hart Foundation led by Bret Hart with his brother Owen, the British Bulldog, Jim the Anvil Neidhart, and Brian Pillman. The crowd is outrageously hot. The action is outrageously awesome. I guarantee you're going to love it, and I'll bet a lot of you have not seen it. Pay-per-view rewind for next week in this corner, the 10-man tag main event, Canadian Stampede in 1997. Now, here's the deal. Bry's in Vegas. We got to finish the show quickly, so let's wrap up with the feel spots. Bry, do your feel spot here, and then we can we can get you out of here quickly. Uh, look, Elias is fantastic. He was so good at SummerSlam. They had a little moment on the pre-show where he trolled the fans. Well, on Raw this week, he came out and he beat up our truth again, but he trolled our truth before that little match with the guitar and sort of played, you know, a, a, a quick, but gross version of our truth theme song. And I just popped so much right in the field spot here because it's hilarious. All everybody in WWE has these theme songs. A lot of them are ridiculous. If Elias's gimmick becomes playing the theme song of guys, he wants to, you know, have feuds against and troll. I am all for that. It's just a little tiny, funny moment and the overall scheme that Elias is over and he's going big places. My feel spot this week, it really was The Miz, but since we already talked about it, that Jason Jordan-Finn Balor match on Raw did not get nearly enough credit for being as good as it was. I thought it was a great match. Uh, certainly made, like, at first, like, why are they actually going to fight on this show? It doesn't really make sense for Jordan to get, a, that, get that opportunity. Balor put him over as looking great in the ring, obviously got the win at the end. Great match. Very, very happy it was done, and I'm glad we got to mention it briefly on the show. And one other thing we're going to mention briefly, because it doesn't deserve to be talked about more than that, the beach balls and the pool equipment that's been brought out. I, I killed people on the SummerSlam Instant Analysis pod. Leave the beach balls at home. There were more of them on Raw. Like, it really, really pissed me off. I really don't like it. Kudos to WWE for banning beach balls and banning pool equipment. What you're doing, WWE, is preventing stupid people from doing stupid stupid things, and that hits yours truly, who's not stupid, the intelligent, handsome Nick Costos, right in the old feel spot. So we botched the end, the uh, the timing of this show. Bry already ran. He's got a bunch of stuff to do in Vegas, so we needed to get his we out. Bry's not here to do it. So for Brian Campbell, for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, I'm Nick Costos. I am very handsome, and since Bry's not here and the Silver <laughs> King really wants to do it because he just held up a piece of paper saying, can I do it? Silver King, give us those two words to take us out of this week's edition of In This Corner. We out.